Hello and happy Monday to all of you. Christmas is right around the corner. Can you believe it? 2022 is almost over. I don't know what happened to the year. We did a lot and yet it felt like it went so fast. But I do hope and pray that you and your family are doing well. You're staying well and healthy during these holidays. And I'm really looking forward to continuing to bring you some Christmas content uh, that I hope will inspire you and encourage you. I recorded a conversation with my friend Aaron Kunkel from Maven, and we just had a great time doing a deep dive into the life and relationship with the Lord that Mary had. You know, Mary can be a very complicated figure sometimes for us as Protestants. Um, we we don't know really how to think about her sometimes, and um, I just so appreciated this discussion that I had with Aaron about Mary and kind of trying to really focus attention on her life. I know you're going to enjoy the conversation. I really want to encourage you to share this with a friend um, or your women's pastor, hopefully through this modeling. One of the goals that Aaron and I had in doing this extended conversation was really to inspire other Christians to do these kinds of deep studies in the Bible. Uh, We don't have to have a bunch of fancy degrees and fancy books. We can really just come to the text and begin to look deeply, look in context, read forward and backward, ask some good questions. That'll give us, get us a lot further down the road, I think sometimes than we think it will. But also modeling for all of you, we need more small groups that look like this right? The deep dive into the scripture itself. And with that, we're going to go out and hear part two of my conversation with Aaron Kunkel from Maven. Okay, well, let's go on to the next scene. We're going to, I think, go back to Luke chapter two and pick up the story from there. Yeah, so Luke two, I'm going to turn there myself. It it describes that This census has been given by Caesar, and because of Joseph's line of David heritage, they have to go to Bethlehem. This is where David is from. And so they have to go travel to Bethlehem. Joseph takes Mary with him. And then we learn that while they are there, Mary gives birth. And we don't know a lot about that whole scene and how the birth went down. I wish we did. (laughs) Yeah. But we actually can get quite a bit from just the few lines because it says that while they were in town, the time came for her to give birth. And then she gave birth to her firstborn son, son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And So just the laying them in a manger and no place for them in the inn. And depending on the translation, the one you have up is no guest room. And that's actually a better understanding. When we think of inn, we think of modern American, like there were no hotel rooms. Right. Like the city was booked up. But the city and, and we get crowded. so much from that, you know, the innkeeper <laughs> and it's raining and you know it's a dark and stormy night. And it's like the text doesn't say any of that. <laughs> yes, it's true. We have 
you know, been liberal in our interpretations of what that scene can look like, but it's really best under better understood as a guest room or any kind of quarters, normal quarters where they would have been invited to to stay if they were visiting in a town where Joseph would have had family. Right. But but we know there there wasn't and and so the reason so many artists and stories are told about a stable that's why every nativity scene is a barn or a stable. Right. It comes from this small part of the sentence where it says that she laid him in a manger and a manger is just an animal feeding trough. Yeah. So that gonna, is how I'm, we set the whole scene. I'm going to put a picture up really quick to share with our friends so that this is a great diagram of a first century home. And um, I think this might be from the um, ESV study Bible, if I'm correct. Um, but I want to kind of draw our attention to some things. So if you'll see, this is kind of a 3D cutaway for those on the podcast. So I'll try to describe it. But if you see like a little two-story situation and you would come in the front door and the lower story would be where the animals were generally kept. And then there would be an upper story, which would be the living quarters for the humans. And so having your um, livestock would be just be a normal part of um, this, the, the, I want to say like the class that Mary and Joseph were living in, you know, they, they were not wealthy people. And so keeping their animals inside their home was also part of the heating system and um, as well as the uh, theft deterrent system. So you've got your, your animals in there. And so it could be that if there was no room for them in the guest room, what the text, what Luke wants us to know is that they weren't in the upper story with the humans. Mm -hmm. They were down in the lower story with the animals and you know, without reading too much into it um, of, you know, well, why did they have the pregnant woman down there? And, you know, the whole issue of honor, shame culture, that's just a lot of speculations that the text doesn't get into, but it provides a little bit better of a picture. I think a more accurate picture of, um, you know, there probably wasn't a separate stable. Uh, they weren't going from door to door in the rain. Uh, looking for a hotel. Uh, it gives us a little bit of, a better of a picture there. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think that's important to think about actually, because we can, we can start to spiral in our minds to all these scenes and it's okay to imagine. And especially again, I mentioned artists and there's so many paintings of this scene of Jesus's birth. And we all have nativity scenes up in our homes. And, and that's okay to do that. But just to, to know that this is, this is how artists have perceived it in their mind. But it, we don't get all of that from the text. We don't even know if Mary went full term. Maybe she had Jesus early. Maybe they're staying there. And it's not like the families understood that Mary was going to give birth that night. We just... We have no knowledge of it at all, but we do know 
that she gave when she gave birth, that's where they were. And, and so the, the importance again is I think thinking about, okay, so then what does this tell us about God and, and what does this teach us about God? Well, we see that Jesus came into the world from the beginning, from a very humble position. He's this King of the universe comes into humanity and is laid in an animal feeding trough. And, and I think that's more important to reflect reflect on. And that's why I do think, you know, looking at paintings and stuff and thinking about it is, is good to do. But we're given so little, but it does actually tell yeah. us a lot. <laughs> and I think also reflecting about Mary, since we're really focusing on her, like it makes me wonder, like, is this actually just a very normal birth? Is this, you know, for her... Um, being at an extended relative's house, um, they probably would have had a midwife come and, you know, there was no epidural, there was no um, anything like that. It, and, and so she is put in this situation of, because birth was a, a dangerous thing back then. Yeah. Um, and so she's really putting herself in a posture of trusting God that this baby will be born, will be born safely, that she's likely to be okay. And, you know, getting through that to be able to raise him. I, I think that those would be, just speaking for me, I've only had two children, you've had five, you're a little bit more of a veteran, but those were the <laughs> thoughts running through my mind when mm -hmm. I had children was, you know, I just want the baby to arrive safely, healthy. I want me to survive so that I can raise the baby. I'm imagining Mary would have had similar thoughts. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's good to think about that too, because it, she's a normal woman and yeah, all of childbirth and having children and bringing them into the world can churn up so much fear in our hearts. And yeah. of course she probably experienced that same thing. Which is why the next scene is so fascinating. And I think to me, I just, I read this next scene and think, oh, this is God's mercy and his goodness just being revealed. Because yeah. the very next scene that we get that Mary must have, again, told Luke about was this miraculous scene of not just one angel, but a whole host of angels visiting shepherds out in the fields in Bethlehem. Yeah. Again, these people who are the lowest of the low in society and God sends not just one, but a whole host of angels to these shepherds, these nobodies. And that's who he announces the birth of his son to. And yeah, you highlighted the great company of heavenly hosts. And we know from, from Luke that the angels said, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those in whom his favor rests. And the angels tell the shepherds that they can find this newborn king wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. And so we hear about this story from Mary's perspective. She was there when the shepherds arrived tell her this story and say, the angels told us we would find you here. 
So then thinking about what you were describing, Krista, as a new mom in this scary situation, she's in a town she's never lived, but yeah, with Joseph's family. So it's not like she's totally alone. And then these shepherds arrive saying, oh, angels told us about your baby. Yeah. I think that just reveals God's goodness and mercy, not only to the shepherds telling them that that he sees them and they matter to him, but a reminder to Mary that God is with her and that God is in this. And this is one of those times, this is in Luke 2, I'm going to turn to it, where it says in verse verse 19 in chapter 2, it says, but Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. So this is her reflecting back at, I remembered this mm-hmm. when this happened. I, I never forgot these smelly shepherds <laughs> coming to yeah. visit us being told by God about who, who my baby was. That's so good. I've got a little picture here just for fun to share this is from my friend Todd Bolin, who I've interviewed on the podcast before. He does uh, photography related to the Bible. And um, this is just a great older picture of a shepherd outside of oh, Bethlehem. Wow. And, um, you know, this is pictures from about 100 years ago before it was all kind of built up and modernized the way it is now. Mm-hmm. But there he is. You know, there's the shepherd out there. And it would have resembled something like this, you know, that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just out there with his sheep. And there's even some speculation that maybe these sheep, because um, if we were to look on a map, Jerusalem and Bethlehem are only a few miles apart from each other. And it could very well be that these shepherds were raising sheep that would one day be slaughtered as the Passover lamb and yet here they are going to see God in the flesh, the Passover lamb that would someday be the once for all sacrifice. It's, it's provocative to, to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've read that same, those same theories. And it is fascinating to think about. And uh, my husband, Brett, and I got to go with a group to Israel a number of years ago and we got to go to Bethlehem. And so that, that diagram that you showed of the homes, we got to go down into an animal cave, you know, kind of the underground thing where animals would have been kept and seen a manger and showing that picture that you just showed of the shepherds. I think we ought to do things like that because we are just, the Bible was written at a different time and different place. So we do have to do some work to, understand the circumstances and it's a benefit to us when we do that so i and i try to do the same thing with my kids some of the there's some real good like children's illustrated bibles that will have pictures of what it looked like or what it looks like today i i think all that is so good because it aids in our understanding and so yeah thinking about shepherds as guys who are sleeping out there in the dirt with the sheep and is good for us to think about like why on earth did god announce in the most magnificent way the birth of his son to those guys i think it tells us something about him yeah it's interesting to think about when i think about 
King David. King David was a shepherd. And so, you know, there's a there's there's some speculation of like, oh, the shepherds were dirty, low class. He God was coming to the lowest of the low. But on the other hand, there's a case that can be made <laughs> that there were noble shepherds in the Old Testament. King David was a shepherd. There's a couple of prophets who were shepherds. Uh, Jesus eventually calls himself the good shepherd. It's it's kind of one of the pictures that he gives us of his heart. So, but I, I think it is very provocative to think about that only the priest, only the high priest, once a year could go into the Holy of Holies and be in the real presence of God. But here we have these shepherds and Mary and Joseph, they are face to face with God in the flesh. They didn't have to go to the Holy of Holies to see God. There he was as a tiny baby. That for me is just so mind-blowing of how a Jewish person would have, you know, how much awareness did they have of what was happening and the impact of really who Jesus is. But when I think about it, um, that's one of the thoughts that I've meditated on over the years of of thinking about the shepherds and thinking about this scene that they were face to face with God himself. It was, it wasn't a priest in the Holy of Holies. So. Yes. Yeah. And it, it talks about the shepherds. I mean, it gives us a little insight of their response to it, but it, it says in verse 20 and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So yeah. I, how could you as a human being even process what you had just seen? I, I don't know, but, but we know that what it inspired is in them is that they praised God. It it caused them to praise God. And, and that's a good thing, but I, I can't imagine how overwhelming. And, and as we talk about Mary's story, you know, she, she did, she would understand at times. And then at other times she wouldn't understand. It was a complicated thing. God in flesh, how, how could you know how he would act and move and how it would, what it would cause in you? But so she, she had some insight, but, but not all the insight. Yeah. Didn't have the full story yet. All right. Let's move on to kind of the next, next scene here. What, where are we going next? Well, what's interesting is we, we don't get a, a ton more information about Jesus is growing up and those sorts of things. But we do know that they, Mary and Joseph were good Jewish devout people of God. And so the next thing they would do after giving birth is that you would present your firstborn son in the temple and that you would bring a sacrifice to God in thanks for your firstborn son. And this was a part of Jewish law and Mary and Joseph did what Jewish law required. So this is how we, we get insight about them. We also know that instead of sacri- bringing the sacrifice of a lamb, which is what was required, there, there were substitutes that you could bring if you were poor. And that was two turtle doves or pigeons. And that's what they gave as a sacrifice. So that gives us insight 
into, again, that they are just an ordinary, probably lower class, you know, didn't have a lot of money and resources, Jewish couple, but they're obedient to God. And, and so they give this, this sacrifice, although it's, it's small and, and would have been something that a poor couple would have brought. And then the fascinating, oh, were you going to say something I was just going to say, and I love how you're, you're drawing our attention to these little details in the text. Again, if we've grown up in the church, we, it might pass right by us, you know, the, mm -hmm. that they did, they obeyed the law of Moses. And this would have, I think, been on the eighth day after the child was born. So they would have had a very short journey up to Jerusalem from Bethlehem. Um, and they present these, these doves or pigeons uh, for their sacrifice, for part of the purification ritual. And this, but if we don't know what that means, we might not understand the, the implications of that. But what it does tell us, like you said, about a little bit about their socioeconomic condition. Let's talk about Simeon. This is such an interesting little story that Luke includes. Again, assuming Mary is one of his, his sources here. Yeah, so two really crazy things happen when they go to the temple to do what is required in the Jewish law. And the first thing is that this man named Simeon, who is described in scripture as righteous and devout. And I'm going to pull up my notes here. And so and then so Simeon sees Jesus and it, it doesn't say that Mary and Joseph explain, oh, this this baby was conceived from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> There's no information about that. So we assume they didn't, they didn't give him that. But Simeon sees Jesus and takes Jesus in his arms and blesses him. And it says he blesses his parents. And then Simeon praises God for the birth of this baby boy. And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. So Simeon prophesies that this, this king that's been born is for the Gentiles and the Jews. And it says in verse 33 that the child's father and mother marveled at what was said. So again, kind of insight into Mary's mind and what's going on. And so it says Simeon blessed them. And then it says he turned to Mary and said to her and prophesies over Mary and says, behold, the child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And so in this scene, now, like you said, Krista, this is like eight days after giving birth. So Mary is tired. Mary is hurting. Yeah. Mary is bleeding, not to be graphic, but any, yeah. any woman who's given birth understands. Eight days later, and now this man of God, Simeon, looks at her and says that a sword will pierce your soul. So she's warned and told she's going to experience much pain as the mother of the Messiah. And 
I, I just think about that this must have been scary to hear. And it must have been something that Mary pondered. And, and then you fast forward to the scene of the crucifixion. It had to be on her mind at the foot of the cross. Yeah. This is the sword that is piercing my soul. How, how can I go through? This is the pain that Simeon prophesied many years before that. So it, it's an incredible scene and one where Mary's given insight into this journey is going to be hard for you. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting in verses um, 25 to 27, how many times the Holy Spirit is mentioned, you know, that the Holy Spirit was on him. He was waiting for the Messiah. The Holy Spirit had told him he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Yes. And then he's moved by the Spirit to, you know, interact with Mary and Joseph about Jesus. It's like he's getting kind of this word of knowledge almost uh, of who Jesus really is and that he recognizes this is the one my eyes have seen your salvation, the one you prepared for the nations. I mean, he, he's, he has this, this insight that this mm -hmm. is the one, but I love what you're pointing out here too. In verse 32, that from the beginning, you know, Jesus was said to be a revelation for the Gentiles. We're starting to see, you know, again, these two covenants, of uh, the old covenant and the new covenant. Simeon is another one of those links, you know, between mm -hmm. the two, like John the Baptist. And um, that we're going to start seeing this, this foreshadowing of the Gentiles coming into the covenant. Uh, and this is, this is, this is an important part of our story as new yes. covenant Christians. And, and we're, we're getting that little, that little highlight Let's go to the second thing that crazy thing that happens to Mary and Joseph. <laughs> As if Simeon's uh, prophecy and word of knowledge wasn't enough, then they turn around yeah. and what happens? Yeah. So the the second crazy thing that happens is right after this in verse thirty six. It says, "And there is a prophetess Anna," and it describes her family line a little bit, and that she was old and that she was a widow. And that she was actually living at the temple and that she was worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. So she's a very devout woman of God. And it describes her as a prophetess. So she's a prophet. And then it says that coming up at that very hour, she, oh, so it describes her seeing the baby. Sorry, I skipped ahead a little bit. And that she, after she encounters, um, sorry, let me get my notes here. Oh, I turned to the wrong page. Okay. So, and it says that she, um, she sees baby Jesus and upon seeing him, that she begins to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And so again, the Holy Spirit is with Anna because she has this special knowledge of who Jesus is at the temple just from seeing him. And that she starts to tell people that the redemption of Jerusalem is here. He has arrived. He's here. And it, 
again shows that God chooses simple, ordinary people. Anna is a widow and someone who's devoted to God and he shows favor on her, fills her with the Holy Spirit and she has this knowledge of who Jesus is just like the shepherds, just like Elizabeth, just like Simeon. And she starts to tell people God's God's promises are happening now. Yeah, that's so good. And to be 84 in a first century <laughs> context, I mean, she might as well have been 120. You know, it's like, yes. it's it just that the, the life point. expectancy yes. of someone and, yes. and her faithfulness, you know, it's often old age and faithfulness, obedience go together in the Bible, you know, that God grants long life to those who are faithful. And you almost get a picture here of like, she's almost like this, I don't know, like an ancient nun or something, you know, that she's just living at the temple, praying, mm -hmm. worshiping all the time, waiting for the Messiah. And here she is. And we're going to see in, if we were to read all of Luke's gospel, we would notice a pattern that Luke does where he often has a man and then a woman. And it's almost like this redundancy. He even does that with parables sometimes. And this is kind of one of those situations. We saw it earlier with the Zechariah, Mary kind of back and forth. Now we have Simeon and Anna and this is a, a literary tool that Luke uses. And if we were to read the whole gospel of Luke, we, this might jump out at us, but um, you know, it's just great that it, it's he, Jesus is coming as a Messiah for both men and women, you know, that there's, it, it's such an interesting um, message that we're already mm -hmm. seeing the seeds of this that are going to play out in the book of Acts, but he comes for the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, and I don't want to leave too quickly before reading um, uh, verse 39 and 40, where it says, when Mary and Joseph had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, their own town of Nazareth, Nazareth and the child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. What a, what a powerful statement about how Jesus would grow. Yeah. And again, I think just insight that only Mary could have given Luke about how Jesus grew, because no, no one really knew who Jesus was. So no one was watching him at this point. Uh, Simeon got insight, Anna got insight, but who could give us insight into Jesus's growing up, but his, but his own mother. So yeah, I, I love that too. And it's just this, we don't get a lot of insight. The next the next story actually is the only story about Jesus's growing up time. And so it's, I, I love little things like that. Cause it tells us just, I, I guess what God wants us to know. <laughs> yeah. Should we run over to Matthew really quick and, yeah. and look at the story? Cause what we didn't see in the birth story, like we got him circumcised on the eighth day, but we never saw the wise men. <laughs> and so we, we've yeah, got what about it. the wise men? Yeah, what happened the to the wise men? My nativity scene's all confused. <laughs> like first you took away the stable and then we didn't talk about the wise men. So we've got to go over to, to Matthew's gospel. Yeah, if you really are going to study the story, it's going to mess up your nativity set at home. Because 
the magi don't actually come with the shepherds the night of jesus that jesus is born like our modern day nativity sets show but yeah. that's okay we can still keep them up i have i have mine up and that's okay but yeah so the next in the timeline if we're if we're using the gospels to give us a timeline of mary and different stories that she's a part of and insight so then timeline wise the next thing that happens after the temple is that the magi visit and we don't know exactly when the magi visit matthew 2 says sometime later and so we after jesus was born so this is and it gives us historical context so this is during the time of king herod and so it's just during this time after jesus is born that magi come from the east and are asking where is the one who's been born the king of the jews we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him so this is disturbing to king herod of course because he is the king of the jews <laughs> right appointed by caesar and so he's disturbed that his power would in any way be challenged and so this is why we know it, it didn't happen that night but we get insight into this timeline because when the magi leave go visit jesus and then don't come back to herod herod then we know historically this is when he orders the killing of all the boys in bethlehem in that region that are two years old and younger and so we know that the magi told him at some point when he saw the star and so timeline for herod was well let's kill any little boy that's two years old and younger and we'll wipe out any possibility of this quote-unquote king of the jews and yeah you're highlighting that in verse uh 16. 16. yeah and that's a really good point so we we kind of know all right there was caesar augustus from luke 2 king herod from matthew 2 um, if people want to know more about the timeline issues, go check out my podcast from December the 5th, right? We went into the archaeology of Christmas and oh, we did a whole like deep dive on that. So Aaron and I aren't going to cover that issue, mm -hmm. but, but this is the gospel writer's way of saying Jesus was born into real history. You know, we're not talking about uh, once upon a time in a land far, far away. This, this is. <laughs> This is the writer's way of saying, um, it's not giving us a date like 1492, but it's a way of saying, you know, this is this is real human history. And this is kind of when this happened. Now, one thing we do know from history, too, is that Herod, King Herod, was very paranoid. He killed his own children to keep them mm -hmm. from becoming king. So it's, cre it's credible to think mm -hmm. that he would go to a town and, and kill children mm -hmm. yeah and then matthew records again re he'll he'll refer to old testament prophecies and he does this throughout but um he, he includes in the story prophecies about jesus being born in bethlehem and then he references later in verse 18 that once these children are are killed and and what a tragedy that would be and then references the book of jeremiah and the prophecy 
about the weeping and loud lamentation. So reading Matthew's gospel, he's constantly connecting Jesus and the historical events that are happening to the prophecies in the Old Testament. Very good. And that's, you know, something, again, we notice about the two different accounts, different purposes, different authors. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, Luke's concern is to write a very orderly account. It's keeping in the historical biographies of the day. Matthew is trying to write account, an account to Jewish believers that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. So he, he weaves those into the story quite a bit. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, thinking, reflecting on Mary on this whole situation. She has these, we'll call them wealthy people that come to visit her, bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They are also wanting to worship Jesus. So where we saw the humble and lowly shepherds, now we're seeing the powerful and rich and might I add probably Gentiles coming to worship this Jewish king. Another foreshadowing, I think, that God is opening up the covenant, the new covenant will be one of including the Gentiles. I think the Magi are sort of foreshadowing that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, this every knee will bow kind of reflection. I think that's so good to think about and, and certainly true that the Magi present a much different picture than the shepherds. And then, yeah, this is where we hear about the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And it's interesting to think about even those gifts and scholars have talked about, well, what did, what did Mary and Joseph do with these gifts? Like why didn't we they bring know. diapers? I don't understand. <laughs> These are the three most uh, impractical baby gifts. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so we don't know, but um, a couple, a couple scholars I read talked about possibly you, the gold, for example. Now, again, this is a poor family. So what would they have done with the gold? Well, we don't know. We don't know. But some scholars said, well, they, we know after this that Joseph gets visited in a dream again by an angel and is told, Herod's trying to kill Jesus, so you need to go. You need to flee to Egypt. And so they leave. So maybe they ended up using money for their travel. We don't know. One scholar I read talked about possibly using the gold to make their Passover trips to Jerusalem every year and that that's maybe what made it possible for Mary to do those trips. So we'll talk about that in a little bit, but it's interesting to think about. But as you say, just a much different scene from shepherds visiting the baby. Now these magi, these educated thinkers, leaders are coming and they're bending their knee also to Jesus. And what what would Mary have been thinking at this point? Oh, this God's telling all different kinds of people that his son has arrived. Yeah, that's really good. That kind of speaks to like the whole Mary is a social justice warrior narrative that I started <laughs> uh, our study with because, you know, it, Jesus didn't come just for the meek and lowly. He, he came for the meek and lowly. But he also came for the rich because we have the universal problem of sin. The mm -hmm. sin condition is something, whether you're rich or poor, 
we all have the same fundamental problem and we are all in need of the same solution. And so when people want to talk about, you know, Jesus only came for the poor and the oppressed, I'm like, remember the Magi. Rem mm. Let's remember the Magi because he came for the rich and powerful too. We all have the same problem. Yeah. So, yeah, let's let's talk for a minute just about the the scene where Mary and Joseph have to flee. Um, I'm thinking from from Mary's perspective, that was probably a pretty scary moment. But there again, we have another angel visitation. Like these angels in the birth story, they're just popping up everywhere. Yeah, certainly she she must have at least reflecting back. At, at a different time must have seen, wow, God was really intervening with us every step of the way. Now, yeah. this time the angel appeared to Joseph again in a dream. So she's trusting Joseph's word when, when she woke up that morning that they needed to leave. And so they have to pack up everything for the safety of this new son of theirs and flee to a country Mary has never been to. Um, it would have been a journey to get there. And so she's trusting Joseph and she's trusting God in, in making this journey. And then we don't get a lot, any really insight into their life in Egypt, except that once Herod dies, then an angel again visits Joseph in a dream and tells them it's safe to come back. And so again, trusting her husband and trusting God they come back to their home and and that's pretty much all we we get we don't get a lot um except yeah. that they ended up back in nazareth and uh i think it's in matthew uh I yeah that's what you're highlighting yeah, yes on the screen down. that it was to fulfill what the prophets had said that that the messiah would be called a nazarene so again matthew's yeah reminding us of prophecies, but taking us along this journey. So now Jesus is safe. They can go back. And now they're back in Nazareth again. Very good. All right. Well, let's move along to um, the one story we really have of Jesus's childhood. We had the eight days old, the circumcision, but really this is our only story about Jesus as a real child, if you will. Mm -hmm. And we're going back now to Luke chapter two. Yeah. And this is when Jesus is 12 years old. And so we do actually learn a lot about their family through this little story. Um, but we learn that they've made the Passover trip to Jerusalem and that this is something that they did every year, that they would go up for the festival according to the custom. And so they're there in Jerusalem and then they they travel back home. And as they start to travel back home after a day's journey, Mary and Joseph realize, oh, shoot, Jesus isn't actually in the group of people. Now, I've I've re I read a lot about this and thought a lot about this, especially as a mother. I'm trying to think of Mary's perspective. So my first thought was how riddled with mom guilt you would be that is a real thing <laughs> and to realize you've left your 12 year old 
in another town would be, you would be just riddled with guilt. All kinds of things would come into your mind. It would be scary because we just talked about fleeing to Egypt because Jesus's life was in danger. She knew that Jesus was not an ordinary child and that his life had been threatened before. So how scary would that be? And Jesus is 12 by now. So one thing that I hadn't thought about before was that Mary would have most likely had other children at this point, probably several other children. So she had other people to look after and think about too, because we know that Jesus had brothers and sisters. So all of this is going on in this scene. And so we, all we know about it is that they realize Jesus is gone. Mary and Joseph travel back and that it isn't until three days later that they find Jesus three days. So that's a long time. I, it's a long time. <laughs> and as a mother, I would have a lot of emotions uh, over yeah. those three days. And then it talks about in, in Luke, it, it records that they saw him teaching and talking with the scribes in the temple. And it says that. And when the parents saw him, that they were astonished. So they were they were shocked to see that what he was in the temple and doing. And I'm assuming astonished that he was able to carry dialogue with the men in the temple. And then it just records this, that it says, and his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? So this, she's taken this personally. Yeah. This is, and I, I would too. As a mother, I, I would take it personally. Like you're old enough to know better. You're about to get this yeah. lecture. <laughs> and I probably wouldn't say treated us. I would take it really personally. I wouldn't even be thinking about dad. I'd be like, son, why did you do this to me? I am your mother. I gave birth to you. But anyway, she didn't say that. She said us. But she said, behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. So they're upset and and they finally find him. And then Jesus responds to them this way. Twelve year old Jesus. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And then verse 50 says this. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. So Mary, most likely Luke's source here, says to Luke, when he said this, that he must be in his father's house, we had no clue what he was talking about. Yeah. So this is one of those insights of Mary gets it, but she doesn't get it totally. And she knows who Jesus is, but she doesn't know what Messiahship looks like. And so 12-year-old Jesus having to be in the temple, she doesn't get that. And, of course, she had all kinds of emotions going on, too. But as she reflects back to Luke about this situation, most likely, she says, we didn't understand. But then it says in verse 51 that he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Yeah. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. So, again, this personal reflection of Mary that she was upset. And, but then we learn that Jesus submitted himself to his parents as was right to do. And so it's, it's a fascinating scene. I think 
thinking about Mary and and her thoughts and what she would have been experiencing as a parent is is insightful again to understand this scene and situation. The only one we get of Jesus between his birth and the start of his ministry. I love the phrase in verse 51, the NIV uh, 2011 translates it as Jesus was obedient to Mm -hmm. his parents. And so there's this idea that Jesus even fulfilled the law as a child, that he was obeying the fifth commandment. He was obeying, you know, the words that Paul draws from, from the old covenant, you know, in Ephesians 6, 1 of children, obey your parents. Jesus did that perfectly. And I just thought, wow, what a wonderful picture of this sort of upside down situation that you have God incarnate living in your house, but he's a little boy and he's submitting to the authority of his parents. I mean, how much more should that inspire us? His example ought to inspire us um, to be obedient to our parents when we're children and to honor our father and mother as we see Jesus do at the foot of the cross. He really shows us how to um, love others, you know, in particular our parents. But I think this is such an interesting story. One thing too about being a 12-year-old boy in a Jewish context, that would be the time, you know, um, he would have had some remedial understanding of the scriptures that, you know, maybe his father would have given to him or he would have heard the scriptures in the synagogue each week there in Nazareth. But to be a 12-year-old boy is to be kind of on the cusp of when talented boys would be identified to become full-time rabbis or to go into training to be Mm -hmm. a rabbi or a scholar. And the fact that he's he's effectively a 12-year-old boy sitting in front of a bunch of people with PhDs, and they're saying, you have more insight into the scripture than I do. (laughs) I mean, this is all a very large conundrum for them. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I think that they were, it's interesting because if you go on in Luke's gospel, one of the things Luke keeps repeating is that Jesus preaches with authority and people Mm -hmm. say that his preaching is different. I think we see those, those uh, preview of coming attractions here in the story of, of Jesus, the 12 year old, that, um, you know, he's, he's gonna, he's a little different. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And, and your point about Jesus being submissive and obeying his parents and, and really living out Jewish law, it just made me think about, well, the next story in, in the timeline, but that Jesus did, it reminds me of Jesus saying later on, you know, I didn't, I didn't come to throw out the law, but to fulfill it. But he, yeah. Jesus obeyed the Jewish law. It, it, it's not like he came and said, okay, I'm doing this whole new thing. Right. And, and so he, it is, it is good to think about how, yeah, he lived with, he lived the way that was right. He did what was right. And yeah. Okay. We're going to put a bookmark right there. We're going to pick it up next time with part three of the discussion 
We're going to start looking at the ministry of Jesus, and we're going to follow Mary and Jesus to the cross, the resurrection, all the way to Pentecost. And then we're going to come back and kind of revisit the Magnificat and draw some conclusions about what we learn from all of this, what we can truly learn from Mary's example. I know you're not going to want to miss part three. Before we go, I want to encourage you also to go check out our friends at Maven. You can go to their website, maventruth.com. This is a wonderful ministry. This is the ministry that Erin and her husband, Brett, have co-founded together, really helping to equip and train um, both young people by going on immersive experiences, as well as child influencers, parents, grandparents, youth pastors, kid pastors. If you're a child influencer, Maven is for you. They have an amazing parent podcast. You're not going to want to miss out on Brett and Aaron's wisdom. They've got five kids and they know what time it is in teaching and training kids in the Christian faith. So make sure that you take time to go follow Maven on social media. Go check out their website. Most of all, go check out their annual conference. It's just around the corner. If you live in the area or a nearby state, start making a plan to come. It's coming up soon. Monique's going to be speaking at that. You're not going to want to miss out. All right. And with that, we will catch up with you very soon with part three of our discussion with Aaron Kunkel. God, God bless and good night. Thank you.